Hi, welcome to Interviews. Today I am in Cambodia with Nancy and Chris, the founders of Mango Tango Asia, an advertising and marketing agency. Hey guys, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura. So please just tell me a little bit more about your business. So uh, Mango Tango is a, as you said, full service advertising and marketing agency. Um, we are here in Cambodia and we serve uh, a lot of clients in Southeast Asia and actually we serve some clients around the world as well. Uh, so we started almost five years ago uh, and now we are up to about 50 people. And uh, we do everything from, we like to start with strategy and research and help people understand uh, what their challenges are and the strategic approach to solving them. Uh, and then once we figure that out, we can do the execution, everything from television commercials and radio spots to digital media, application development, software, uh, and everything in between that you need to communicate. Sure. And what is your what is your role in the, in the company, Lindsay? So my role is head of strategy. Okay. My background is big advertising agency, big clients, Microsoft, IBM, and really thinking strategically about their channel strategy, their messaging strategy, their segmentation strategy. And honestly, when we first got here, we started doing a lot of speaking about data-driven marketing and very sophisticated approaches to marketing. But we have found that in Cambodia, um, they're looking for something a little different. Okay. And now we, we generally service international companies who are coming to Cambodia, and they need everything from us, from their TV commercial, their brand positioning, to their uniforms of their the staff. Sometimes we do product design. So as Chris said, we really are truly full service. Okay. What about you, Chris, your background? Um, uh, so I'm the CEO uh, here, and uh, so I help with everything from finance to uh, making sure the trash is taken out, uh, strategy <laughs> and investment. I mean, you know, sort of in charge of everything. Um, and my background also is in advertising and technology. I started in New York and got to work for some uh, ad tech companies, advertising technology companies in Silicon Valley and in Singapore. Uh, and um, we're here and we're growing. It's been a, a fun, successful ride so far. Nice. Um, and then I did also, I wanted to put a little bit of a finer point on, on what Nancy was saying mm -hmm. uh, about how, because we, we did come to this market and we brought some of the latest tools and technologies uh, and approaches for, for doing advertising and marketing, including data uh, driven and, and, and digital tools. Um, I think when we got here five years ago, uh, that was a little bit too soon for that. Uh, and, and to be fair, a little bit too soon for that uh, for a lot of companies in the world. Okay. Uh, but now things have started to shift uh, very quickly. So we, we start to see more uh, companies, uh, both local and international companies in Cambodia, embracing a lot of the new approaches and tools. That's, that's, that's interesting. So when, when you arrived, you have like some expectations coming from your background, from New York and other countries, Singapore, etc. So what what... What did you learn from that experience where you, you, know, you realized that your expectations were not to be met? Well, we were able to get a lot of attention quickly, mm. which was great. Mm. Um, so we felt like we were getting traction in the market. Mm. But what we realized was we were having conversations, but the clients just didn't understand or weren't ready to consider the kind of more sophisticated marketing services mm -hmm we thought would be a unique offering. Mm. So we really had to expand our approach and get to basics. Okay. 
back to basics. Back to basics. Um, but but I, I think that's, so there's a couple of interesting aspects uh, to that and Cambodia. Mm -hmm. um, when, uh, so Cambodia, as you know, since you've been here, uh, has been growing at an average rate of seven and a half percent for 21 years. Mm -hmm. So it's it's finally reached the point where that, that matters, I think, significantly. Um, a lot of the companies that were here before and when we arrived five years ago, there was not very much competition. Mm -hmm. uh, often there was just one or two companies in each category, and they weren't used to spending money on marketing or thinking about it in a sophisticated way. Now we get a lot of calls from companies that are here, and they say, we're losing market share tremendously. What should we do? Uh, and we say, well, do you do any marketing? Oh, we've never had to do marketing before. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so I think you know, part, partly along with the growth and, and Cambodia's emergence into a middle income a country where you see a large middle class, uh, there's a lot more companies, a lot more competition. Mm -hmm. So so the conversation even in five years has shifted tremendously. Mm -hmm. Also, the traffic. <laughs> yes. Uh, you, but you, when you said, you know, you, want, you had to get back to basics, you guys had a lot of experience before coming to Cambodia. Wasn't it too difficult for you to get back to basics like that? Well, you know, I think what we realized is what we brought that was unique, that was mm. valued, was that international perception. And most of our clients, again, are international companies doing business here. So we've really positioned ourselves as the international perspective with the understanding of the local market. Okay. One of the first things we did here was a, a major study of the changing Cambodian consumer, mm -hmm. really across many, many categories. And honestly, that helped ground us in the Cambodian consumer. But I do think that what we have offered that has helped us grow is, mm -hmm. um, you know, international standards yes. for the quality of the work that we do, but through the eyes of what's going to work. Here. Yeah, know, know your market. Yes, exactly. Yeah. How long have you guys been an uh, entrepreneur for? Well, for me, it's been on and off. I've been mainly big agency world, mm -hmm. but we did spend several years in San Francisco, and I did, of course, join a startup. Mm -hmm. So I had that. But Chris has been more of an entrepreneur over the years. I was also part of the big agency world in mm -hmm. New York City. Uh, I started at Ogilvy and built the very first ad agency website in 1993, when wow. it was still not allowed because the internet was still uh, for educational and military purposes yeah. only. Um, so from there, I went out to Silicon Valley. I had an opportunity to work uh, at an early uh, advertising technology company. Um, so, so my background in startups has been, and ever since then, I've been in the startup world, some exactly. small, some larger. Um, and so that, that's sort of my entrepreneurship okay. background. Um, and I will say, you know, more about, I was very lucky. Uh, I got to join a firm because I was the subject matter expert on, on internet advertising. Uh, I got to join a firm uh, in Silicon Valley in Saratoga, which is right next to Cupertino, um, Palo Alto area. Mm -hmm. So truly Silicon Valley. Um, uh, the, the folks that were running the company were serial entrepreneurs. Right. Um, they had been some of the early uh, founders of Sun, uh, employees at Sun Microsystems. And they had gone on to start, I think the company I joined, which was called IQ Commerce, uh, I think it was their fifth or sixth startup, and they had sold several. Uh, but what I got to see there in in the late 90s in Silicon Valley was how you really set up and grow a company, right. how you scale it. Uh, there were not the level of 
books and videos and, and information about how to start a company and scale a company that we have today. I mean, now you can just, you know, go watch courses on lynda.com or, or online and find a lot of information. But at the time, there wasn't too much. Mm. Um, so it was great. I got to be mentored by a, a couple of guys who, who knew how to scale a company, right. uh, how important the product was, how important the customer focus was, right. how, how important it was to, to find a beta customer and, and, and grow them and not mm. grow too quickly. So mm -hmm. it's a lot. There's, there's a lot of nuance yeah. to it. So. So, so, so they gave you the taste of entrepreneurship, right? That, that's where I, I first sort of got that yeah. uh, grounding in, in what it means and how, how fun it can be, how much work it can be, <laughs> yes. how frustrating it can be, uh -huh. but also exciting. Right. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about yeah, your entrepreneurship journey so far. How has it been going? You know, the good, the bad. The bad? <laughs> Whatever you want to start uh, with. <laughs> entrepreneurship journey. Well, every company is different. You know, yeah. every, every environment is different. Uh, the the context is is often different. Um, Cambodia, obviously, a different context. Um, I think one of the benefits of being in Cambodia is that there, for us anyway, and for any uh, startup company, having a wide open market uh, is uh, is a great place to start. You know, you don't want to launch a you know a, a breakfast cereal company because it's a very crowded space. Mm, mm. But in Cambodia, there weren't there were really no companies operating with I think that that sort of uh, more professional approach to marketing when we got here. So that that was partly attractive. Mm -hmm. What about you, Nancy? Because you you got less experience as an entrepreneur. No, most of my career, I have to admit, was in very large mm -hmm. organizations yeah. on very large uh, pieces of business. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been challenging. Uh -huh. uh, you kind of miss the regular paycheck <laughs> and uh, the perks of yeah. being part of a large company, the ability to take vacation, for uh -huh. example. Um, but I think we're bringing a level of professionalism to it that gives us confidence that we can move forward. Right. So. so you are enjoying it. Yeah. So ultimately, <laughs> what's nice is you know, being part of a large organization, mm -hmm. you're a cog in the wheel. You're mm -hmm. very replaceable. Mm -hmm. So there's some comfort in that you're not that important. But there's also your role is is ultimately very limited. Mm -hmm. Whereas here is our company. We decide who we want to hire. We decide whether or not we want to pitch a certain client. If we think a client's going to be very difficult, we might just choose to pass. Yeah. So it, we do have a lot more control over the work. Yes. And that's really great. I have to agree with that. The liberty of selecting your clients, yeah. it's absolutely fantastic. Right, because there are some clients you just don't really want to work with. <laughs> it's all about the context. There's a client for everyone. Yeah, of course. Exa exactly, exactly, exactly. But you want to choose the right client for yourself mm -hmm. that, you can, that you can service the best because you know you this is the right profile. Mm -hmm. And um, what are you guys good at? Making payroll. Making payroll. <laughs> Managing cash flow. Yeah. Uh, well, for, for, I mean, it, different things, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we've managed to uh, build a, a nice culture and, and, and build a, a, a process that, that works for the company. So we, we are continuing to grow and expand. Mm -hmm. But um, I was only half kidding about that. I mean, a lot of, a lot of what we're responsible for is just making sure that the, the lights come on and the day-to-day yeah. -day continues. Yeah. Um, so I think part of what I've become good at, although it's not necessarily my favorite thing, uh, is financial management. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I started out as a copywriter at Ogilvy in New York. <laughs> so, okay. And then I was the digital guy. 
because I knew how to use a computer. <laughs> and now you're into financial. Yeah. Now I want I want to talk more about that because you know a lot of my clients are they're all entrepreneurs and a lot of them they struggle with financials because they don't realize that first they need to have financial management, <laughs> you know, and then they don't see how they can use financials to make decisions, to make informed decisions. So I want, I want to talk a bit more about that. How do you do, you know, proper financial management? Now. It's, it's tedious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things we've been very happy with and feel very lucky about is the quality of the staff we've recruited. Mm -hmm. And I think our first full-time local employee was our... Uh, uh, our uh, financial manager. Right. Yeah. And she's fantastic. Okay. And she's been a tremendous resource. And not everybody understands that's the first thing you have to invest in. Because if you don't know where the money's going, yeah. you're lost. I agree. That, and I would say, a cash flow forecast fine. Because mm -hmm. often what I see with my clients, again, is they, they don't manage cash flow. So they often, they often you know, uh, face cash flow shortfalls shop, 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 uh, shop and they... They don't see that, you know, at the end of the month, they need to pay the salaries of the staff, but they don't know how to do how to do that. Yeah. Well, and we all, you know, any company, even large companies face cash flow shortfalls or challenges. Yeah. Yeah. I think the difference that you're describing is we're not surprised by that. Right. right? Yes. I can see that coming two or three exactly. months ahead. Uh, and think, oh, okay, we have to manage, you know, like, like, let's say we shoot a, a, a TV commercial. Uh, a lot of times we have to put out a lot of the money by ourselves, and that can be a hundred or two hundred thousand yeah. uh, dollars. And then that's going to really interfere with, with cash flow. So you can sort of see ahead and manage it. Mm -hmm. I think the everyone manages it. But in the case of, as you're describing some of your the, the, the people that you work with, it comes as a surprise. Like on Tuesday, they realize yeah. that they're going to run out of money on yeah. Friday. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's more about setting a, a little bit of a runway. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's actually something else I think that uh, was drilled into us. Uh, what, what I learned in Silicon Valley when I got to work at that uh, early stage startup, the entire leadership team from every department, you know, HR, infrastructure, we all got in a room once a week and reviewed uh, what was happening before, mm -hmm. what happened this week, mm -hmm. make plans for the future, you know, what are we working on? Yeah. Then we would always look at the cash flow. Right. The, our, our, the CFO would hand out little pieces of paper and say, here's, here's what the runway looks like. So there was, there was complete transparency. That's the, oh, there was, yeah, absolutely. With, yeah. yeah, and I saw that early on. Um, I was quite surprised by that in Silicon Valley. Yes. But there is a, a lot of, not, maybe not down to the level of every staff member, but the, the leadership team, mm. the wider leadership team had access to um, what was happening with the cash in the company. Mm. Um, and I think that was effective because it, it made everyone, it made it real for, for everyone mm. to see like, ah, oh. uh, so we could look at the runway. They often talked about the runway mm -hmm. um, and how I heard one of our uh, board members describe it. They said, well, the, the runway is the cash mm -hmm. flow for your company and your company is an airplane right. and it's going down the runway. And at some point it's going to take off and you're going to have a viable business. But if you run out of runway, even if it's a few meters before the end, that's the end. Right. Yeah. Even if you're about to take yeah. off. So pay attention yeah. to that runway. Yeah. That's why I tell my clients that cash is the number one priority. That's this, this is the first thing that they should always look, look at, at least as, as managers. I think that's right. I hear a lot of people say, oh, but isn't it strategy or staff? And I think, yes, but those things 
don't matter if you yeah. if you've run out of exactly. Plus, if you're growing and you're expecting to grow, you're going to need cash to 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 expand your business. Mm. Okay. So, what other financial tools do you do you use? Can we talk about cash flow? Uh, do you do you guys do a budget budget file every year? We do do budgeting. Um, it's not it's not as useful when you're in a high growth mm -hmm. uh, phase. I mean, it's useful and I recommend doing it, uh, but but it can change very quickly, especially uh, as you're growing. Okay. So for a smaller company, it's more, uh, I had one experienced CFO tell me like, it, you, the budgeting is one thing, but it's really cash in and cash out, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's how much you're getting in and how much you're spending, at, at least until you have a viable uh, ongoing business, yeah. so budgeting. Well, yeah. But we do budget client by client and right. project by project yeah. because it's very hard. Clients are always trying to beat you down. Procurement tries to beat us down on yes. price. Yes. And then, of course, the clients always want extras. Yeah. So we do try to pay close attention to you know, how much are we getting for this project? How much are we getting for this project? Mm -hmm. And then are we putting in a lot of extra hours? Is this client demanding more? And then how do we, how do we manage that? Right. And so how has financial management, proper financial management, how has it uh, positively impacted your business? Well, I think it's allowed us to, to grow quickly um, because you can see where you have a surplus or not. And sometimes you need to add extra capacity in order to make more money, but you need to see where the where that's possible. Mm. Right. So so I think it's that's what's allowed us to be uh, sort of effectively growing. Uh, more quickly, I think, than we would have otherwise. Okay, great. Um, coming back to, um, you know, your entrepreneur's, your entrepreneur's life, uh, how do you manage, you know, your uh, private life with your professional life? Can you find the right balance? Well, I, I'm not sure if your viewers know, although it did come up possibly earlier when we yeah. said we were in San Francisco yes. together. We are married. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> we, <laughs> so this is actually our first company that we've ever run together. Right. Uh, we've been married for twenty years, and uh, we've actually we met at work. We met at Ogilvy in New York in okay. conference room six B. Um, <laughs> but we, <laughs> but we, but we didn't work on the same accounts, and then right. I think I left quickly shortly thereafter, and then we've never worked together uh, before. So this was sort of a, a first endeavor. Was that, a was that a difficult decision to make, like, to work together? I, I thought it was. <laughs> I was a little hesitant. As a man, I paid no attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was concerned. but um, and, and it is very challenging, especially when you're facing the early stresses of growing. Mm -hmm. um, when, it's, when it's going well, it's great. But it is very hard to have a, a work-life balance because mm -hmm. we can't help but have conversations about work at well, home, well, and um, sometimes it really would be nice to just leave things at the office. But sometimes you have an idea, and you yeah. just want to. You're like, oh, I don't want to forget about, about this. So <laughs> yeah. Tell you about this. yeah, but you could write it in a notebook instead. Yeah. <laughs> busy, you know, how we we watched seven seasons of Game of Thrones in a month. Sometimes I have to turn it off and say, I thought about something for work. Okay. I don't recommend it, but it was. Mm -hmm. We got to the end. Yeah, but one thing we do appreciate here and try very much at least for our team to have is a work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Coming from a very stressful world of the big agencies in New York, mm -hmm. people would be expected to work a lot of overtime. Mm -hmm. And we really have never been um, forced to require that. Mm 
And of course, as you know, Cambodia has so many holidays, yes. which we do our best to manage around, but that is challenging. Uh, but it's really, we try to make sure everybody else has a good work-life balance mm -hmm. and that doesn't feel stressed and that we don't, again, that's part of budgeting for projects. If you take on projects and you're not getting paid enough, then people just have to work overtime. Mm -hmm. So we do try to not do that. Mm -hmm. But for ourselves, because we, you know, ultimately we're responsible for everything, mm -hmm. it, it does end up being a lot of extra time, as I'm sure any entrepreneur will sure. tell you. Sure, yeah. But I totally agree with you. Sometimes you have an idea where you're like, oh, I really need to, to write it down or talk to, some, to someone about it because it's, it's, on, the mo it's on the moment. I, I, I coached um, uh, clients of mine and they were you know, business partners, but also partners in life. And they reached a point where they had that difficulties to, uh, to balance their, their, their private life with their work life. So they talked, they, you know, one of the exercises that we did together was to uh, set up rules. So like, for example, one of their rules would be, would be like, on Sunday, they do not talk about work. Well, what if you have an idea? <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly the point of having the rule. <laughs> So maybe you can you can implement that. <laughs> you know, we, we, we managed to, to, to shut off. I mean, sometimes we'll go away on a long weekend and, and just mm. and, and not talk about work. So. And now, still on your on your entrepreneurship journey, considering everything that you know today, would you have done some things differently? That is a good question, and I did get the questions in advance, but that one I I'm not sure what the answer. Uh, to that is, I mean, part, partly I think it's because we've both done startups before mm. um, and spent a lot of time thinking about what works and what doesn't work. So, yeah. um, but I think um, you know, as we started talking in the beginning, we did initially come in thinking, oh, we have access to sophisticated ways of doing marketing that'll be you know embraced by the market. I think if we know then, we wouldn't have focused so much on that approach. You know, we would have gone right to a kind of different positioning, which is what we have now, which is, you know, we are your your feet on the street here in Cambodia. We have unique local knowledge, but with it, that international level of professionalism and sophistication that you're right. looking for. Right. Right. So I think we could have maybe maneuvered our positioning differently earlier on. That, that's true. I mean, I th so I, I think what we would have done differently is we would have understood a little bit more about the market and what it was possible to sell or not sell here. But in any, I don't think anyone's gonna know that starting out a business. Mm. I mean, a lot of it is, um, I mean, people talk today about pivoting, which I, uh, pivoting typically meant getting into an entirely different line of business. But, but now I think it, it's a little more nuanced and it means understanding like who's the clients we're selling to and how do we talk about it mm. and what mix of products or services do we have. So uh, I, I think knowing that in advance would have been great, but you, you're never going to know that in any company. Mm -hmm. You're always going to learn as you, as you go along. So what would be your last advice for audience entrepreneurs or you know, soon-to-be entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? What would you tell them to do? I would say actually work in a company. Work in a company first. Yeah, there's a lot of research out there. Mm -hmm. Um, that shows that the most successful uh, entrepreneurs, by a factor of like a hundred, are people who have worked for 10 or more years in the industry in which they start a company, a startup, whether it's a competing company or whether it's a startup where they're solving a, a problem. 
the, the research shows, and there's quite a lot of research, that, that being an expert, being in, a, in an industry and learning about it, and number one, you get the contacts uh, as, as you, you know, get older so that now you, you have people you know. Mm -hmm. And number two, you really understand the nuances of the industry so that you can build a competing uh, company or a product that's needed. Um, but today there's a little bit of a zeitgeist where anyone can be an entrepreneur and there's a lot of focus on uh, school programs where you're going to come out of school and be an entrepreneur. And that's, that's nice that that's, the energy is there and that, and that people are being taught some, some skills about how to think about it. But if you look at the data, uh, typically it's people who have been in an industry who start either a disruptive company or a competitive company in that industry the most successful ones, uh, by a huge factor, have had a lot of experience in that space. All right. Interesting. What would you say? I think another aspect to consider is who you're partnered with. Yep, obviously. We know personally quite a few companies where, you know, maybe three people started and then the partnership just fell apart. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's another serious challenge, I think, that people don't see going into it. They're just like, yeah, let's do this. Um, but down the road, it may be a, a problem. All right, well, yes. Actually, just uh, to elaborate on that, yeah. um, I had uh, one of the accountants we had a long time ago at, a, at another startup had, had given that same advice that you you really should go and look at. There's there's checklists you can get. There's You can go online and here's a list of shareholder issues uh, because you have to think about what you want out of the business. Mm -hmm. uh, is, it some, is it a lifestyle business, by which I mean you might just continue it forever? Do you intend to sell? Um, what if you get a big sale offer and the other person doesn't want to sell? So, so going through the exercise with your partner of thinking about future things that you might not think about, it's really important to get those differences out at the beginning. So this accountant said, and I think he'd had a, a firm with a partner for 20 something years, that was Bob, what's his name? Um, you know, he and his partner, they sat down, they wrote, they made a shareholder agreement, they worked out some issues. He said, if it works out, we put it in a drawer, we never looked at it again. <laughs> you know, we were okay. Yeah. But that is not always the case. People sometimes have different expectations going in and it doesn't come out until later. So that's, I think, also. All right, well, thank you. Thank you very much for your time, your time today. Thank you, thank you very much uh, for watching. If you have enjoyed this video, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and I'll see you later. Bye.